Hi, everyone. Michael here with just a quick show note. While Taylor, Sasha, and I are getting ready for our team retreat, we thought we would reach into the archive and re-release one of our many episodes with our great guests. So this week, you will be revisiting Curran Hadelberg and listening to a wonderful conversation between Sasha and Curran. So if you missed this episode, which was about a year ago... Good news, you don't have to roll all the way back through your podcast feed to search for it. But if you do remember listening to this episode and enjoying it, maybe this time around you'll catch some things that you missed the first time around. All right, well, we should have some pretty exciting announcements after our retreat in our next episode. But for now, enjoy this conversation with Sasha Wolf and Curran Hadelberg. All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf, as usual, joined by my friend and producer, the Oberon of the <laughs> of the Photo Work Podcast universe, the king himself. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Chauvin Dalton. I, I just was going to keep going, but I'll control. Yeah. <laughs> hello, Michael Chauvin Dalton. How are you? Oh, hello. Wow. We're uh, reaching back with that one. Uh, just had flashbacks to my high school uh, reading uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to make myself, first of all, I was like, am I Pac or am I, Oberon was married to Titania, 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 or Titania, maybe Titania. We right, need, right. Bring in the pronunciation guide. <laughs> um, she's no great shakes, but Puck is, you know, <laughs> Puck's got some issues. So I don't know. Yeah. I just decided we'll just throw you into the forest. Um, king of the fairies. King of the fairies. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, then I was also thinking as I was starting to say the talking touchy-feely version of my book, I was thinking, all of a sudden the word talkie to me reminded me of talkies. And I was thinking, what was the oh. first talkie? <laughs> I think it was the jazz singer, but don't hold me to it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't Google while I'm talking to you because, <laughs> because I just can't. Because we're, because we're live. We can't stop. <laughs> no, we need, we need a third, we need a third person. We need that just amorphous sort of associate producer who's on the line who I just shout off into the distance. Hey, um, what was the first? I'm getting an uh, update. What was? Oh, man. Oh, man. How you doing? Yes. I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, wrapping up the semester. And I have to say, uh, it was a good one. It was a good one. I have um, I have students who are just so enthusiastic about photography. And what is better than that? Nothing. What could be better? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that is wonderful. I feel that yeah, way with clients a lot. I mean, obviously, I feel mm -hmm. that way with the artists I work with. But I think I get that sort of more innocent unadulterated, yeah. pure excitements from certain clients and not all. But when I do, yeah, it, yeah. it is really fun because I feel that way a lot. I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not jaded yet. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I mean, I don't think I could teach if I wasn't, 
optimistic and enthusiastic. Yeah. And wow, what, what would that class be like? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm <laughs> sure there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who are taking that class with a lot of, oh, yeah. well, not to throw yeah. Yeah. professors, <laughs> prof- <laughs> unnamed professors under the bus for no reason whatsoever. Why did I do That's that? Right. <laughs> that was so mean-spirited. I take it back. Oh, my God. I have to go sit in the corner. I've been misbehaving, by the way, since we started, so... Uh, that's right. I really should go sit in the corner. Oh, wait, I sort of am in the corner. Yeah, you probably are. I can't get any more in the corner. I would be one with the uh, plaster wall. Does, um, does Oberon put Puck in the corner? Oberon should put Puck in the corner. If, I can't remember exactly, but but Oberon definitely should. And if you're Oberon and I'm Puck, then you definitely should put Puck in the corner. All right. On that insane note, ladies and gentlemen, we've started the podcast drunk. No, not really. It's it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, (laughs) Man, holy cow. So, all right. I'm going to turn this ship around. We had... This is a great episode. I had a Mm -hmm. conversation with my friend, the photographer, Kern Hattelberg, who is an artist that I've been... A huge admirer of for many years and also he's just one of the loveliest people he's just very warm very big-hearted and really honest and i think it's a really beautiful conversation i just want to say one thing um kern is so sort of humble and he's like the anti-braggart that mm-hmm. when i was talking to him and i asked him to you know sort of go over his journey, his bio. He left out some huge things. So I'm just going to quickly mention them here. One was that Kern was one of the artists in the 2019 Whitney Biennial. Um, He had a very large group of images in that show, Hmm. uh, work acquired by the Whitney as well, uh, as well as many other museums. And, um, And also we spoke quite a lot on various episodes of the podcast about the show at ICP, but still it turns that my artist Christine Potter was in, and it was Greg Halpern and Curran, uh, Vanessa Winship, um, Ramel Ross, Richard Troy, anyway, eight, nine artists in that wonderful group show that was um, going on last spring and summer. So I want to mention those things since he didn't. I also want to say that he has a new book coming out this spring, yes. and everyone should pre-order that as soon as it is available for pre-order at TBW Books. So that's yeah. that's that's what I wanted to say. But good episode, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, speaking about enthusiasm and optimism in photography and, and someone who is not jaded, I mean, uh, the way Current talks about photography and his sense of wonderment and exploration, um, yeah. you know, the, the way he talks about photographing people, uh, that's, it was just wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, because I sort of went on and on in bonkers land <laughs> for so long, um, let's just, <laughs> let's wrap it up, see if we can keep under the one hour mark. Michael, <laughs> thank you for spending this morning with me. And if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Curran Hattelberg. Kern Hattelberg, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm glad 
we finally found the time to do this. I feel like yeah, we've been talking too. about it for a while. So yep. thank yep. you. Yep. It's an honor to be here talking with you. Cut that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so Karen, gosh, so much to get into. You actually happen to have a show. Up. Is the show still up at Higher Pictures Generation? Yeah, yeah, it's up. Let's see. I think until the 27th of this month. So a few okay. more weeks. Okay. I'm yeah. not sure when this episode will drop. It might be sort of right around then. But this is your probably, what, third exhibition? Yep, yep. With, with high, uh, some iteration of higher pictures? Exactly. Yeah, third time, which feels, you know, it feels lucky to, to have this... Uh, opportunity yet again to to be showing it i don't know what i consider to be one of the the better photo galleries in, in oh the definitely country. so yeah amen for sure always humbled by those chances to share work yep. the work that is up now is part of a larger project mm-hmm. that will be published by uh tvw yeah. Soon, right? It's coming out when in the spring or? Yeah, I, I guess this spring we're going to print it at the beginning of December. So however long it takes to move across the ocean, I guess. To yeah, get... a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, this spring <laughs> a while. probably makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So basically going to be, a, I think, a, a really wonderful and important book to, to add to the Two, I guess you have out now as sort of monographs. But before we get into all that and your contribution to my book, Photo Work, which is one of my favorite contributions, and I want to read some of your fantastic uh, answers. Mm, can you, you just give us a little rundown of your your journey, your life journey? Sure. Where would be a good place to begin? Well, where were you born and sure, where sure. did you grow up? I was born in Washington, D.C., and then grew up in the suburbs just outside. So most of my youth was in Bethesda, Maryland, which is just a stone's throw from from DC. Pretty quickly after getting through with high school, I, I kind of went as far as I could, I guess, to, to get free from the kind of confines of the East Coast suburban experience. So I ended up in in Colorado at the University of Colorado in Boulder and had a kind of up and down experience there where I I failed out of school at some point, took some time off, which was deeply beneficial in in my mind. So I took some time off, tried to figure some things out while I was taking that time off and ultimately decided to, to finish up and get my degree. So... I finished there with a BFA in painting before leaving the state. It was a tricky moment because I I knew that I had to to leave Colorado. I had to kind of leave behind some of the things that were kind of holding me back or keeping me under. And in order to do that, I had to I had to leave. So I ended up back in in Maryland, uh, not knowing where else to go and being totally broke at the time. And I lived with my grandmother for a few years, worked different kinds of jobs. I was, uh, you know, I cut lawns. I uh, worked as a bartender 
so different jobs here and there. And then with all my free time, I started taking photographs. So towards the end of my time in Boulder, I was making all these paintings that were based on photographs that I was taking. And these, these weren't really done with any kind of artistic intention. It was more just this impulsive kind of diaristic record that I was attached to. So when I got back to, to Maryland, I continued to make these pictures, not knowing what they were for or where they'd end up, if anywhere. So they just became this pile of, of images that were sort of tucked under the bed. And at some point, a friend, thank goodness, you know, we all have these kind of people in our lives, hopefully, that encourage us to do something, even when it feels out of place or, or um, undeserving. So he, he sort of pushed me to apply to grad school just because he could recognize this kind of obsession that I couldn't put words to. So I applied to a couple different schools based on some cursory research that I had done. And Yale was one of them. And uh, I didn't get into the other school that I applied to. And somehow, uh, still to this day, it feels mysterious. But yeah, I ended up at Yale through that process. So you wound up in the Yale MFA, the photo MFA program. Um, yeah, yeah. And how, how was that for you? What was that like all of a sudden winding up at this storied sort of institution? And program for me it was essential I think largely because it was the first time in my life that I really cared about something in a certain mm -hmm. sense up until that point I had not really found the thing that I needed to feel any kind of self-worth or drive and so that was really a gift of the MFA program it gave me this opportunity to focus in and and care about something um, in a way that I hadn't in the past. So I think in a lot of ways, I was extremely green. You know, I'd, I had never, as an example, printed a color photograph or participated in a critique before I went to Yale. Even though I had gone to art school in my undergrad, we, we didn't really do critiques or anything like that. So it was all this kind of brand new world for me. And I think I benefited from not having the baggage of of really knowing what it was all about or what its reputation was about. So it, for me, it was a really fruitful time. Did you have any sort of, you know, eureka moment? It's funny that I just said eureka because, <laughs> um, well, we'll get to that. But did you have any sort of eureka moment, you know, as it pertains to making photographs and being a photographer? I mean, was there a moment where you knew I'm so passionate about this. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Or did it quietly sort of unfold? It's a good question. I feel like in that interim period between school, between undergrad and graduate school, I started to learn about photography through books uh, of photography that I'd find at the, the library nearby or at the college library, which had a bigger reserve of photography books. And there was something about it that felt aligned with a way that I was already interested in living. In undergrad, whether it was in school or during time off, I was taking these kind of rootless trips around just kind of investigating and see what would happen 
And I figured out that if you attached a camera to that process, it was somehow different and, and justified. So at some point, I, th that, those two things clicked for me. And I guess that was sort of the first time that I thought maybe this is, maybe this is a way forward or an interesting path that I can take. But it, it was so naive. I, I don't know. I didn't have any expectations about results from that process. Mm -hmm. It was more just the excitement of um, being engaged with that type of thinking, I guess. And also, if I may tell you who you are, um, and also process, right? Because one of my favorite little tidbits in photo work is the personal fact where you say, when I was a child, the only way my parents could get me to fall asleep was to put me in the car and drive around the block. Yeah. Maybe it was the sound of tires on cement or the rush of the wind pouring in that sedated me. Perhaps this is an origin story, why my work is still so much about driving. Right, right. I, I find that really beautiful. I, I'm not sure. I haven't been in therapy for many years, but if I was back in therapy, I would definitely tackle this because every time I read that, it makes me feel very emotional. Mm. Um, so it it's like pushes a little button. But to me, there's something about that statement and the way you're putting together this comforting thing from childhood with the way you work as an artist now that is is really moving. I'm doing some research right now on Susan Mizellas for for something and you know it's just staggering how much she talks about process. I mean it's really incredible. It's been fascinating and and wonderful to to really find out, but I feel like for you that that is really a thing. Um, how you want to live your life and how that connects with making work. I mean, does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the process is the point, you know, the experiences that bloom from the process of making photographs. That's that's the reason to do it. The exchanges that I have with people, the places that I am fortunate to end up, the learning experiences that occur through process are, are the point. And, you know, the photographs are kind of the cherry on top. It's just the, the gift of, of um, what happens after. But, but for me, it's, it's really about that, that process that keeps me kind of locked in and excited about photography. You know, it's, it's clear from your work that, you know, you are a deeply humane, caring person. And the sort of project that got the attention of large part of our community was your book, um, your first book, Ross Coast. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could tell folks, and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot, but just give us a sense of, I'll read the little blurb, um, but then how you made this work. But in Ross Coast, Kern Heidelberg presents an episodic narrative about Eureka, California, Intimate portraits of town and people function like a collection of short stories, building to an understanding of place. The pictures live between extremes, between the grand and the granular, between the breathtaking natural landscape and the grim realities of industrial decline. There's more, but I'll just leave it there. But how did you wind up in California creating this, this project? The reason I ended up in, uh, in Eureka was for a teaching job. So I had been in New York City for, you know, probably five years or so after grad school, something like that. 
and I was doing the adjunct hustle, you know, kind of um, in and out of different programs based on the semester and mm -hmm. working at two or three or even four different schools at the same time. And it felt exhausting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And at, at some point, I realized that, you know, I, I wasn't interested in making work about New York City. I wasn't interested in making work about the surrounding area of New York, at least at that time. And so a friend of mine, Kate Green from grad school, had suggested that I apply for this job. She had just actually had the job before um, I was able to get the job. But she was like, it seemed like a place that you might find to be of interest or exciting um, as a place to live, but also as a place to make work. And that was sort of new to me. I'd never worked and worked in the sense of making pictures and also lived in the, in the same place. So it felt like an exciting and sort of different opportunity to engage with, with photography. So again, you know, I don't know how these things happen, but I was lucky enough to get the job and that sort of kicked off the, my stay in Eureka. Did you know you get there and you're like, do you feel immediately this is a place I'm going to want to make pictures? Do you feel that immediately or do you come to it slowly or, you know, are you hunting and pecking or you, you just have a feel? I mean, I love this work. You know, I, this is when I was first introduced to you. I'm pretty sure it was Sasha Odensky, our mutual friend, hmm. who said to me, you have to see this guy's work. And then I, I went to the show at, at Higher Pictures. I bought a piece. Yeah. Smart Thank of me. You. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love this, this body of work so much. I, really, I'm, I love all your work. I mean, really, truly, I'm you know, you're one of my favorite artists. I've told you that before. So I'm curious, like, it feels Lost Coast to me seems so unbelievably organic. Like, I just imagine... I know this is just ridiculous, but I imagine that there was like no struggle because it just seems so like this work and you and this place and you, mm. you know, perfectly in sync at this time. But how true or not true is that? Is that? Mm, it's untrue in the sense that <laughs> all making work is always a, a kind of, it's always a kind of struggle. Mm -hmm. It's not often very fluid. Sometimes it is. Once you figure out a certain rhythm of working that pertains to a particular place or once you've met somebody who has keys to all the doors, you know? Yep. But that takes a long time. There's so many, so many dead ends and, and wrong turns and um, failures involved in the process of, of making something. It always, it always feels, I'm sort of copying I think Robert Adams or something but it always feels miraculous you know when something works out because it doesn't feel like it ever will when you're when you're in the trenches you know and, and you're making your work it doesn't ever feel like you're going to arrive at that place where something does work out but I think part of the deal is that you just have to to wait you know you have to have a kind of blind faith that what you're doing is right that you're following this kind of state of intuition that's only about guessing and that there aren't any wrong answers. So just having a kind of trust and faith in that is essential. But yeah, there's there's countless countless wrong turns and dead ends and along the way. At this point in your 
career, whatever. I am always unsure what that word means. But do you feel when you hit a wall or when something doesn't feel like it's panning out, are you more comfortable now knowing, well, you know, I mean, a lot of artists you hear, artists, particularly actors, talk about, you know, imposter syndrome and always thinking that the job they're doing is going to be their last job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone's gonna, I, mean, you know, I relate to that. I, mean, I, I yeah. completely relate to that. I constantly <laughs> feel that imposter thing when I'm out working, you know, it's like, oh, I've been in this, I thought this parking lot was like the key to something and I've been here all afternoon and nothing's happened. And, you know, you, you just have these vague intuitions about what you think you should be doing, but that doesn't mean that you're going to get some direct hit, you know, that, that's, that something's going to work out. So when you're faced with those kind of fruitless days over and over, or when it's raining for three days and you're sitting in your car, you know, 10 hours a day or whatever, whatever it is, you know, there's constant questioning about like uh, imposter syndrome or what am I even doing? You know, this doesn't, yeah. this doesn't feel like work. This, this feels like failure. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think part of, part of the challenge and part of the job is um, having a uh, commitment that and mm -hmm. trust that that you just mm -hmm. have to those are just stepping stones to get to that that final thing well i'll read you what you wrote um because it's it's really connected so in the book and uh, the question where would you say your style falls on a continuum between completely intuitive and intellectually formulated you say when i'm photographing it's as if i'm looking for something that's missing but i'm not sure what it is as if i'm on the verge of something important that keeps eluding me all my pictures originate from a curiosity, a desire to experience things and express that wonder. If there is any construct behind my work, it is getting in the car and driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go on. That's not the whole thing. That I urge people to, you know, reread all of Curran's answers in the book because they're really beautiful and really generous. Um, but... You know, I love that because in a way what you're saying, it, it is like just keep going, right? Like, yeah. And, I mean, and it's that's interesting coming is. back to driving, right? Because so driving, we see the ways in which driving is so sustaining to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in so many different layers of being an artist, the, the driving is, seems to be really to sustain you and bring you back to almost like a, a safe, predictable the predictable part of things, I guess. Sure. I mean, it's interesting too, because the driving is kind of like, it induces this kind of um, trance state or like place of mm -hmm. um, pervasive awareness or thinking that is hard for me to access otherwise. So, you know, there's a, a kind of tuning in that happens when I'm driving. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I turn the on switch up, you know, so that it's so that I'm in a state of, of um, awareness, I guess. But the driving is just really the first, I guess, piece of the puzzle. Once I, once I find a place that, that I want to photograph that has a kind of mystery and authority that I can't ignore, you know, then it's time to, to really get to work, which is getting out and walking around and then waiting for something to happen. You said... Uh, earlier, you know, about finding someone who would, I don't, my my memory isn't good enough to quote you back, but said something about a person who then gets you access. Sure, sure. Um, so so how, like, how does that work practically for you? 
Like how how do I how do you how do meet I, that person who then turns out to be someone who I assume what you mean is someone who's introducing you to other people? I mean, you know, you're going into places and you're making these really intimate pictures. So I mean, I know you, so I know you to be an incredibly warm and gentle soul. You know, I hate having my picture taken. I'd probably say yes to you, <laughs> but. How do you develop those relationships? Well, it, it's all it's all based on a kind of mutual curiosity. You know, I think all all the pictures kind of originate from this moment of intimacy and, and vulnerability that we both have to partake in in order for it to work. But um, in terms of in terms of meeting someone and and sort of getting to the next steps of making the picture, it's there's no, uh, you know, secret to how it happens. It's something that yeah. is just felt. Like you, you kind of walk around, typically where you know people are going to be congregated or spending time uh, outside. And I just walk up to someone and and uh, express interest in them. The camera is usually out at first, just so that they know. It's not some surprise later, so yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of let them know nuts and bolts right off the bat. You know that I'm a photographer. I'm traveling around looking to spend time with someone that I'm interested in them, and then you know I'd love to to take their picture and and spend time with them, and and that putting it all kind of out on the table right away is, is a good way to cut to the chase because, you know, people will say no or yes immediately. And, and it just kind of develops from those points. This is just something I'm preoccupied with in general. I've talked to Scott Mott about this quite a bit. Does it ever, I put this, does it ever nag at you at all that the people who you're photographing, a lot of them are not going to be, I'm, I don't want to make assumptions, So, but I, I would think a, a good percentage of, of the people you're photographing are not going to be really familiar with the language of fine art photography. And so there's, they can't, well, not that they can't, but they might not be your audience. I mean, you know, I don't want to sell people short, but I, but I also want to just, it's something that nags at me um, and sure, what I do, sure. you know, this sort of disconnect between, you know, the subjects and, and their familiarity with the visual language that, you know, we're sort of seeped in. And so how, how can they also be a viewer of the work? I mean, do you ever think about that? I don't know if that just was so convoluted. Um, no, I was just tripping yeah. over myself to not be offensive in any way, but. No, um, it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I, I definitely think about it. There's a lot of uh, disconnect in terms of um, access for viewing art in general. So mm -hmm. yeah, it certainly crosses my mind. All I can say about, about that is that when I'm photographing someone there has to be this kind of this kind of notion of a mutual relationship, and I, mm -hmm. I have to communicate those those talking points about you know I'm a photographer, so I show in galleries, I, I I make photography books, so there's a there's a chance that you might be participating in that. Is that something mm -hmm. that 
how do you feel about that? You know? And so those kind of questions are, are discussed for what it's worth. A lot of the people that I spend time with, I will bring them back prints and there's some kind of closing of the circle in a nice way by doing that. And then also it, it varies with people's like interest in, in the pictures once they have them, which is kind of interesting. There's one photograph I took of uh, this, it's, it's a kind of a still life of these watermelons that are sort of covered in, in bees. Mm -hmm. I know and the picture really well. They yeah. use that for their um, Christmas card. This was like a, a farmer, you know? So it's like- Oh, fantastic. There are these yeah. little things where the pictures live in a different way, I guess, than you know, outside of the, the book form or the gallery wall that maybe has some meaning. It's a good question, though. I, that doesn't mean that they'll ever be, as an example, in New York seeing the show. You know what I mean? So it's, right. there is complication there. That's for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about the book you did with your partner, Cynthia Daniel, who's a painter, an incredible painter. It's really, tell Cynthia this. In getting ready to talk to you today, actually, you know, I'd seen some of Cynthia's work, but I, I hadn't really done a, a deep dive, and I just felt like it because I spent so much time with the book you guys did together, Somewhere, Someone, which unfortunately for our listeners, I'm going to say all these great things about it, and it's long since sold out. I looked, I, I have uh, copy number 353 <laughs> um, <laughs> got in there, but Man, she's amazing. It was so fun really getting to know her work. Yeah, um, she's she's incredible. In my, oh in my, my God. estimation, she made the better pictures in that that book, I would say. Well, I don't know about that, but I it's a great book and she's just such a phenomenally interesting and talented person. I read an interview with her that was just incredible. <laughs> so maybe I'll Maybe Cynthia will be my first painter. That'd be oh, amazing. You, maybe you're my first painter, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but well, let's talk about the book. I was going to hop to the the newer work because I want to connect it to Lost Coast and mm -hmm. and somewhere someone is a little bit of a what's the word? It's it's I don't know. It's just very different, right? First of all, it's in black and white. Mm -hmm. um, usually shoot in color. I don't know what camera you were using for. We both used um, these point-and-shoot contacts cameras. Yeah, so totally different because I think you usually shoot large format. Yeah, um, well, I shoot uh, medium format, the Mamiya 7. Wow, that's amazing that you sh I mean, medium format, no disrespect to medium format, but I didn't realize that. I have to say I thought Lost Coast was like four or five. Mm-mm. Mm -mm. Um, I'm not that, uh, I don't have that level of patience or, or skill to operate those cameras. It's, uh, it's, I don't know how people do it, honestly. I, I need to be more fluid and responsive. I don't, yeah. I, it's incredible that people know how to use those cameras in a way that's active. So you're not shooting on a tripod? No, never, pretty much. Wow, your pictures are so sharp. I mean, for those, a lot of those group scenes, that's sort of amazing. I, I don't, I never get into tech talk, so I don't really want to do that now, but I have to say, I'm just surprised. Yeah. Um, tripod, I don't know. It's just another one of those 
tools that you have to like fumble with when you're with yeah, somebody. No, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's yes. I'm I'm really interested in the the lightest kit, the least amount of gear as, yep. as possible because it's just one less um, distraction, I guess. I have to go back and pay more attention to the aspect ratio. Yeah, it's so funny. I just absolutely imagine you, especially as I said, in these sort of group scenes, which I think you are the maestro of the group scene. It's like, I think of those group pictures that you did so well, particularly in Lost Coast, as they feel to me like stills from a movie Mm. set. They have this just... They're, they're so beautifully composed. It's just, and the light, and I mean, yeah. So I just, it's so interesting. I just absolutely assumed that you were you were on a tripod. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll just get over my my shock and move on. So tell us about the project that you did. I mean, I can read the description, but I think people are probably getting sick of me reading. So tell us about the project you did with Cynthia because it's really so unique and wonderful. Sure. Let's see where to begin. Um, Cindy did this monumental giant piece of of artwork, which comprised 360 paintings where she circumnavigated the the perimeter of the United States and stopped every, I'm going to get this wrong, maybe 25, 25. yeah, 25 (laughs) miles or so and, and uh, made a painting there. So basically in conjunction with that body of work, she proposed that we do a piece together in which we uh, drove the middle of the country, which was absent from that that bigger project. At the time, she was living in California and I was living in New York. And on my fall break, we did the trip. So it was, it was only about five days, uh, or it was five days. And what we did was we we were kind of interested in this idea where if we drove the exact same roads, stayed at the exact same hotels, shot the exact same film and same cameras um, and documented our, our trips, there's no way that our experiences would would overlap. We'd see entirely different things along the way and, and make choices about what to photograph that was totally distinctly separate from from the other person. So to organize it, we we both she left from LA, I left from New York, and we met in um the geographic center of the lower 48, which is just kind of like a cornfield in Kansas. So we we drove towards each other, met in the middle for a few hours, and then ended up at the place where the other person had started. And that's that's the project, basically. And then how, you want to tell people how you organized it into book form, because it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, sure. I should also mention that its original presentation was was done as slide projecting. So there were two slide projectors facing each other. One carousel had Cindy's pictures, one had mine, and uh, the pictures uh, projected at each other. So that was the, that was kind of the original wow. presentation. But then we thought, you know, this, this could lend itself well to a book. So we made a uh, accordion fold book where one of our pictures are along the top and one of our pictures are along the bottom. And it's sort of the only point in which we're in the same place is the very middle, which represents that that cornfield in, in Kansas. 
the, it's the largest accordion fold in the. I mean, yeah, it's I don't know. Big. I don't know how. It must be. I mean, is it like a hundred feet or what? I think it's. Like? I wish it was. I think it's more like thirty or something. I don't even remember. But <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool when it's when it's unfurled. Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I'm an exaggerator. I can't <laughs> help it. It's the New Yorker in me. Um, anyway, we love that book. I, I I'm going to put in a pitch right now for this book being reprinted. I mean, there's something wonderful about a small run. You guys did 500, but yeah, yeah. I f- almost feel bad that so few people I know managed to get a copy because it's so special. So this is my um, my my pitch right here for Thanks. a reprint. It was an interesting project. You know, I, I had never really collaborated with that level of um, seriousness before. And it was such a beautiful process because, you know, collaboration is built upon compromise and and uh you don't really get what you want you have to work together to arrive at something in the middle and so that was a really healthy exercise you know in 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 working on a project it was interesting too because on paper so much of it made sense to me like you know you're you're moving around in the car until something catches you uh, catches your eye or catches your heart or whatever it is and you get out and you start making pictures the difference is that if it was me working in my normal way that means okay I'm going to stay here for a few hours or a few right. weeks or a few months right. or whatever it is and instead it was uh, take the picture and keep going so because you had to be at a certain place that that night to get up and go the next day so that the timing was was correct for the project but um yeah, it was it was an interesting departure from from what was normal to me. Did it freak you out, or I mean, no, was it, it it was it yeah. was just exciting. Honestly, yeah, it was cool. um, especially because I just had no idea how it was going to turn out, you know. And one of the cool or interesting things about it is that most of the pictures default to a kind of banality or cliche because there wasn't there wasn't much time to really investigate, you know, it was just like, take the picture and go. So it was exciting to do that more shallow dive, I guess, rather Mm -hmm. than the deeper, more sustained, Mm -hmm. longer form kind of thing. Um, Speaking of longer form, the work that is up now at Higher Pictures Generation is part of a much larger body of work that you first showed part of a few years ago, I think, yep. at Higher Pictures. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really curious about the, I don't want to get too into, it's hard because again, this is a podcast and people aren't seeing the things we're, we're talking about, but the edit is really specific. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about what I'm talking about? Because <laughs> I'm sure even though I we haven't talked about this yet, I'm sure you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, tell us about the edit and how you, you pulled these pictures out of this much larger body of work. Sure. Um, I guess I should start by saying what the what is not shown yes. in the show, which is yeah. maybe just because so, it makes more sense to organize yes. my mind that way. You know, I, I feel like at its core, at its at its heart, 
the the work that I am interested in making is kind of about understanding what family and community mean. So that means spending time with with people, living with subjects, friends, uh, collaborators. You know, working with them, and and really really trying to get to this place of of um, intimacy, of vulnerability, of reciprocity and care that all comes from from the beginning of, of, of curiosity about someone else. So those deeper levels of understanding uh, that happen when you spend time with somebody. So people are really at the, the center of what I'm interested in. And this last year felt so scooped out from, from that experience for me. It felt so emptied out of, of how I normally work and what I normally sort of fixate on. So the show is organized around pictures that are, are totally devoid of, of any human presence, I guess. Mm-hmm. There are some glimmers of people where they're kind of in the background or you see uh, like a foot or something like that. But um, I, I was kind of interested in what the work would feel like and what it would mean to, to sort of go against what feels very natural to me. And what your viewers would expect, right? Yeah. What your audience would yeah, expect. Yeah, I think so. And I, I have to, you know, tip my hat to um, to Kim Boris and everyone else at, at Higher Pictures who kind of pushed me to to be vulnerable in that way and show work that, that wasn't, I don't want to say what I'm known for, but to show work that wasn't about something that in the past was so front and center. It's startling. I mean, it, 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 you know, it was startling to me. Um, and then it was a challenge. And, you know, I think ultimately that winds up being a really positive experience, even if, you know, it's not the current pictures that I love the most, if I'm being honest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. the challenge, I always say to people, and it's so funny because I just said this before you and I started recording Today, we're recording in the late afternoon. I was with my assistant, Noah. Shout out to Noah, who I love so much. I was saying to him, there's this concept of how valuable it is to see shows, even if you don't love them, because there's so much to learn about how you feel about art Mm -hmm. when you have to grapple with something that you're having a harder time with or you may not be connecting with as much. And I had that experience with this show, but not that extreme because I'm, I love your work so much that it's, it's really just a matter of whether it's going to be my favorite work or, you know, I'm not, it's not like I walked in and was like, I don't like this. I just, you know, was definitely like, wow. And I wish that, you know, I wish that, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the disconnect between who you're photographing and where you know, who then looks at the work. But in a way, it's like, you know, I can hang in there and and spend time until I start to figure it out because I have the confidence to do that, because I have the enough literacy in this, with this language. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful to that. But yeah, I was just sort of thinking like, it would be so great if, if, more people had that literacy and had that confidence because I really think this show is 
the complexity is so rewarding. It's it's just so rewarding, even if it doesn't have those sort of current greatest hits pictures in right, it. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in a way, I'd echo what you're saying, which is that I tend to think that the, the photographs I make that don't have people feel almost like B-sides or it's just a different thing. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, it's just not my central focus, I guess. So it felt uncomfortable and like an important experiment to try mm -hmm. to build a show around pictures that, that just didn't have that, that aspect to them. It's interesting because when you look at the room, at least for me, it's it's a heavier tone. It felt it felt more felt darker, I guess. Oh God, yeah, definitely. And I don't know. Maybe that's because I feel like pictures that have people there's a a natural kind of buoyancy or um pulse that that just exists in, in the picture that, that doesn't happen as easily without them there. Well so. that's that happens because of your relationship to them. It's not happening naturally. I mean, that's that incredible humanity and generosity that you have. Well, you know, I could take a picture of someone being horrible to someone and that's a picture of people. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. we've seen a, we've seen thousands and thousands of pictures over the past number uh, forever okay the history of of the medium but let's just say over the past few years we've seen so many photographs that are just make you think stop this train i want to get off sure yeah 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 but those aren't the pictures you make now just to be clear your pictures of people are not puppy dogs and and rainbows but your generosity towards the human race is in your pictures. And so that's the buoyancy. It's coming from you. Well, that means more to me than, than you know. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that's always a challenge is how do you translate that kind of um, everyday kind of transcendence that, that you can feel around people into the picture. And that's, I guess it's not a given, you know. No, it's it's definitely, it's not a given. Let me ask you a couple of things as we sort of wind down. I just want to gonna geek out a little bit here for a second. How did you, tell me if I'm, this is just maybe off base, but it feels to me that the color palette in this, this body of, what is the name of this body of work, by the way? At the moment, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I haven't, we haven't located the exact title, so we're going to print in a couple of weeks. But and I've got a short list, so it's not like um, <laughs> it's not like my pockets are empty. But um, we haven't we haven't pinpointed what it's going to be quite yet. Okay, which is a little stressful, but yeah, I'm <laughs> it'll, sure it'll all work out. <laughs> the color palette seems so different there's these you know the dominant color to me is red mm -hmm. and it's not nearly as warm overall there are exceptions but look i'm i have i'm going to ask a question that i assume i know the answer to but just for the sake of it is that something that you 
are doing intentionally straight off the bat? Do you come to it or is it just a happy accident? You mean finding that that particular kind of red color? Well, just the color, a shifting, making sure. It seems to me that the color palette is intentionally very different from Lost Coast. Now, obviously, Lost right. Coast has that California light, but sure. there, you know, there's a lot of you know very warm orangey tones in, in Lost Coast that do not exist in this body of work. Yeah, and and then you, there's this repeating red that you see all the time. That's sort of jarring in a way. Right. Yeah. I guess with this with this project, this this. Uh forthcoming book and body of work, you kind of make those choices towards the end as you're sort of building towards this shared group of pictures. Uh, you decide on a kind of atmospheric tone or weight that, that you want to be present within the work. So part of one of the characters in the, in the body of work is this kind of weather, this presence of weather, which is very much kind of like about to rain heavy, deep summer, humid kind of feeling. And so- A lot I, of this work is in Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana, yeah. Florida, mm -hmm. uh, Virginia, all over the Southeast, although okay. there, are, okay. there are exceptions yep. to that. Um, Texas, uh, there's some in Ohio. So it's not as much grounded by a geographic Place. location, yeah. and it's more anchored by this kind of swelter and humidity mm -hmm. and- um, mm -hmm density of air, I guess, that exists in, in summertime. So with that in mind, I, I think we, I work with this amazing uh, printer to do all the printing for, for my books and shows. Um, this guy named Hayward Hart, who works out of Los Angeles. And um, I feel like we've gotten to this collaborative place where he almost knows <laughs> what I need more than I do, you know, and it's this beautiful exchange of trial and error where we we arrive at the the final feeling together and that's the color and the paper choice and all those little things that make a print what it's going to be so really just trying to honor those deeper levels of atmospheric heaviness i guess is how we got to those color choices and you are by the way i'm a huge proponent of having collaborators and whatever ratio you want to however much credit you want to give someone but um, I think it's really important. And for me, it would be totally disingenuous to say that, you know, I'm doing this by myself. I think that's such a falsehood that's often mm -hmm. far too perpetuated in, in the art world. You know, this kind yep. of like hero myth about an artist like out there on their own doing doing all the heavy lifting and that just never sat well with me. Yeah, no, I think it's silly. And it also just is a shame because if people follow that complete falsehood, they also are not going to make great work because, you know, an example I've given before, but I love it because it's just so like pedestrian is when I was making a film, I always imagined the main character, it was a short film, I always imagined there's no costume changes, the main character in this one outfit for, for like, a few years, I imagined it as I was raising money to make the film and getting actors, blah, blah, blah. Right. And when I started working with this great costume designer, I said to her, okay, so I want Joe to be wearing this. And she just looked at me and she was like, oh, actually, I think Joe should be wearing this. Right, right. And I, I just was looked at her and I thought about it and I was like, she's right. <laughs> 
you know, so it's like, that's the great thing about collaborating. Um, yeah, and, and again, I, I, in whatever form, in whatever, you know, but yeah. But anyway. the whole the whole process from start to finish is collaborative. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Right, There's with no, your subjects. Yeah. yeah, with the subjects. I mean, the work doesn't exist without their without their consent or mutual uh, involvement, you know? Mm-hmm. And I could never guess where someone might take me or who they might introduce me to or where we might end up. And those are all choices that we're kind of arriving at by dancing together, you know, like and fumbling mm-hmm. our way through the process. There's, there's so many pictures where <laughs> I'm with someone and they say like, oh, well, let's go over here. That's where the better, that's where the better uh, picture is, you know? And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a piece of this bigger puzzle. So it's, it's the subjects and friends who help me make the pictures. It's, you know, my gallerist, Kim, and everyone else at Higher Pictures who we have constant communication, talking through ideas and, and choices and just having communication with 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 people like them and friends and Cindy, of course, you know, nothing's done as solo effort, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's Hayward who makes the prints and the people who make the frames. Like you know, it's it's all it's all done in concert. It's it's not it's not as um, singular as people think. One last question. Save save this one for last. Is this a satisfying life? Mm. It's a great question. <laughs> some days, some days it is. Some days it's, uh, there's wanting, you know. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to be happy with the artist that I am and not, not the one that I want to be in terms of the art making. And the rest is, a, is a, the rest of it is a totally different conversation, I guess. But yeah, I mean, what do I really have to complain about? I get to be engaged in this incredible tradition of art making. I get to work with people who I have no other reason um, to work with other than through photography. You know, that's just such a beautiful excuse to to meet so many talented, special people. I'm healthy. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what else one can ask for. Well. I don't know either. I think that sounds pretty good. Um, I know you struggle with some of the same sort of, am I doing enough in the world type things, but we'll save yeah, that yeah. Um, for another. <laughs> one, one little comment I should say about that is I'm doing a, a small run artist book that hopefully will be done by the end of the year. 200 copies, I think, and that will be all for charity. So just a little a little gesture. Wow. I don't know. After this last year, just taking stock of yeah, no, that's how, beautiful. How good things have been, you know, um, when the world's been turned upside down. So yep. Well, more um, on that later. You can you can put a uh, a copy or two aside for, for me. I'll I'm I'm in. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> put, send me an invoice. I'm 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 in. All right, Kern, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me. I love talking with you and I wish you all the best and um, send my hello to Cindy and tell her she, she may be on my list and tell her it's painless. And, I will. Um, I definitely will. <laughs> and, and thank you for the invitation. Honestly, you know, I, I'm such a, I have such high respect for what you do. So 
it was um it was my pleasure to talk. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. And until next time, talk to you soon. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.